Are you frustrated with the one-size-fits-all approach to health and wellness? Do you wish there were more personalized solutions based on your unique genetics and biology? If so, you're in the right place. My guest today is Mr. Len May, founder and CEO of EndoDNA, a company using advanced DNA testing and AI to provide customized cannabis and wellness recommendations for medicinal use. Mr. May shares how understanding your genetic predispositions can help determine the right cannabis and supplement protocols for your needs. That's right. The answer is in your DNA. So tune in to get the details. Welcome to Pivoting Pharmacy with Nutrigenomics, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, a must-have resource for pharmacist entrepreneurs seeking to enhance patient care while enjoying career and life. Join us as we pivot into nutrigenomics using pharmacy and nutrition for true patient-focused care. Explore how to improve chronic conditions rather than just manage them. Celebrate entrepreneurial triumphs and receive priceless advice. Align your values with a career that profoundly impacts patients. Together, we'll raise the script on health and pivot into a brighter future. Before you listen in, I want to thank our listener of the week, All Sports Mom 21, who says it's refreshing to hear another perspective to helping patients and educating patients to learn about how to heal themselves and get healthy. Thank you, All Sports Mom. It's refreshing to me that you found our podcast refreshing and helpful. The essence of pivoting pharmacy with nutrigenomics is to guide listeners like you in shaking off the traditional shackles of pharmacy practice, moving towards a holistic patient-focused approach. We believe in sharpening the tools of self-education and self-healing, not just for us as healthcare professionals, but for our patients too. So please continue to join us on our collective exploration into fresh avenues of patient care. So thank you for your review. And remember, when you leave us a five-star review, you'll get the chance to be featured as our next listener of the week. And I'll give you a shout out right here on the show. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 16 of Pivoting Pharmacy with Nutrigenomics. I'm Dr. Tamar Lawful, Doctor of Pharmacy and Nutritional Genomics Specialist. You know, there are moments in our lives that challenge the way we see things that make us question the status quo. Well, this is one of those moments. We're about to challenge some commonly held beliefs about cannabis consumption. Intriguing, right? I'm beyond thrilled to dive into this topic with you. All right. So you've heard the buzz on cannabis, restorative, therapeutic effects, a natural alternative. Sounds like the perfect remedy, right? But how does someone find the right product or dose? The truth is the one size fits all approach, isn't it? What if I told you, you can personalize the medicinal cannabis journey, much like your favorite cup of coffee, stirring isn't it? On this groundbreaking episode, we're debunking the myths and taking personalized to a whole new level. Ever heard of DNA testing for cannabis? It's like 23andMe, but for your cannabis needs. So let's see what this is all about in today's episode with Mr. May, CEO and co-founder of Endocana Health Incorporated, who joins us with a rich 25-year history in cannabis and genomics. He has paved a luminous trail in patient-centric care. As a certified medical cannabis specialist in medicinal genomics and holding a master's of medical cannabis, Mr. May has an in-depth knowledge of genomics, cannabinoids, and terpenes, and their interaction with the endocannabinoid system as well. 
He is a thought leader in medicinal genomics and affirms the power of personalized healthcare. This enlightening conversation could be the catalyst you need to redefine your role in pharmacy. So let's dive right into the unabridged world of nutrigenomics and cannabis. This is sure to ignite your entrepreneurial journey. Let's listen in. Welcome, Mr. May. Thank you for joining us on the Pivoting Pharmacy with Nutrigenomics podcast. Now, can you give our listeners a little bit, tell us about you. Well, about me, <laughs> well, how long do we have? Uh, <laughs> I was actually born in a country called Lithuania and uh, immigrated when I was about six years old, grew up in Philadelphia and uh, moved to Los Angeles about 16 years ago. But uh, I was the kind of kid that would sit in class and I get all these different thoughts, like windows would be open, like windows in your computer will be open in my head, sort of daydreaming. And the teacher will call and, you know, I'd be like, what now? Back to present. So I got diagnosed with ADD and I was put on all kinds of prescription medication. And I can't say it didn't work, whatever the definition of work is, but uh, they all kind of numb me. Uh, so it took away any feeling of uh, self. And I was hanging out with some kids uh, just, I guess, uh, in the beginning of high school, maybe the end of my uh, eighth grade, ninth grade, somewhere around there. And they asked me if I wanted to uh, smoke a cigarette with them. I'm like, yeah, cool. Hanging out with the cool kids. We'll smoke a cigarette. And uh, I never questioned why they only have one cigarette. So they ended up uh, passing the cigarette to me. I took a drag of that cigarette and kind of tasted weird. I took another drag and kind of coughed a little bit. And they're all laughing at me. So they actually cannabis inside the cigarette oh and when i went to class the windows in my head sort of uh narrowed they disappeared i could focus like, okay this is odd so uh then i every single time that i would consume cannabis after that it, it did the same thing so i never mentioned to anybody that you know, we would consume quote-unquote recreationally or whatever here and there as i would get older my parents didn't care for that that much so they would get upset with me and at the end uh, right at the end of high school they end up kicking me out actually calling the cops on me and trying to have me arrested the irony of the story is that they consume formulations that my company produces now and all these are genetics tests so it can't kind of full circle but uh you know that started my trajectory into really understanding the plant and how it affects your body and what your endocannabinoid system is so i became an activist i was the president of the cannabis action network legalization back in in the mid 90s and then uh my ex-wife who was my girlfriend at the time said i have to get a real job so i went to work for price waterhouse i was i went i was going to physical therapy school that was my sort of my okay. then i was a consultant for a venture capital company then i uh was a commercial real estate broker for a while moved to los angeles was still sort of dabbling in real estate and uh, these guys came in and wanted to open an alternative pharmacy like, um, okay, that's interesting. What do you really want to do? And it was a dispensary. So mm -hmm. uh, I helped them and they offered me a partnership and I ended up uh, being a partner in five different dispensaries under the same brand. But my passion has still been the therapeutic properties of the plant. So I was always trying to figure out why two people consume the same chemical variety and have a completely different experience. So I really started focusing on plant genomics. I found a video right. by a gentleman named uh, Kevin McKernan, who was the first person to genetically sequence cannabis, and uh, reached out to him and learned a lot about plant uh, genetics. And their parent company was a pharmacogenomics company, and I still got really involved in the human genetics. So anyway, that's that's my long 
winded story about my my background and can dive into any more specifics. I like it. So from your accidental experience with cannabis and how it impacted your your ADD to now making it a company where we're focusing on being more specific. You're focusing on genetics and a different strains that would be more beneficial for people based on their genetics. From looking at your background, you've mastered the workings of the endocannabinoid system and the interplay with genomics. So how, how might this knowledge actually empower pharmacists who want to redefine their role and deliver a more personalized uh, approach to health? Well, I, I just believe that everything is uh, a personalized approach to health and wellness. So we've been sort of doing this cookie cutter approach for way too long. Uh, you know, take two of these and call me. Well, why should I take two of these? Why shouldn't I take four? Or why should I take one? Maybe I'm an ultra rapid metabolizer. Maybe I'm a poor metabolizer. So the way that we sort of look at this is uh, the way that we met with the FDA and they asked us, what is the purpose of your test? And we told them to help people either mitigate or avoid a possible adverse event. Mm-hmm. And they said, wonderful. So that's the goal. And what we do is focused on that first. It's to be able to help people, guide people to an experience that is going to be safe first. Efficacious is second. We want to make sure that people uh, consume things that are not going to trigger a possible adverse event. So when I look at this, is uh, we genotype somewhere around 700,000 genetic biomarkers. And uh, what we look at is everything is directly or indirectly associated with the endocannabinoid system. And understanding how the endocannabinoid system works, because it touches every other system in our bodies, and we understand how our endogenous endocannabinoids, what are the neurochemicals that we produce ourselves, and how does that affect an individual in different types of activities or or different types of uh, uh, work they do, or stress, things of that nature. So people that consume phytocannabinoids that actually can bridge those gaps that they may be naturally deficient in themselves. Well, if they consume something that is not really aligned with them, they can actually trigger the adverse effect prone to stress reactivity uh, and has a predisposition for that. And they consume higher THC, which has a very narrow therapeutic window with certain terpene profiles, which are essential oils of the plant, they can actually trigger the predisposition and epigenetically, uh, you know, express that stress reactivity instead of the opposite of what they really wanted to do. So our goal is to be able to guide people and pharmacists are very comfortable with pharmacogenomics, right? So you're looking at how things to interact. So think about this as another supplement they can take a look at and see how it would interact in order for people to avoid those adverse events. And then the, the kicker is now that we sort of have a secret sauce, like this is the area that I should be in. These are cannabinoid terpenes are more aligned with me. Now this is how I should be dosing based on my metabolic function. And we're looking at specific cytochrome P450 markers that are associated with cannabis. And now we can actually start matching people to products based on the certificate of analysis and test results of products, and then seeing how close those products match their suggested ratios. And the best part about it, there's a feedback loop. So we actually have people report outcome and also integrate wearable devices so we can start building data. So the first thing we start is is safety, but now we want to make sure these products are efficacious. And by efficacious, there is a reduction of 
blank, whatever it is, or there's an increase of whatever that is. And we use clinically validated assays like the PEG-3 for pain, et cetera, to be able to document all those things to create what we consider the world's largest observational study on efficacy uh, using these uh, substances as well. Wow, that's amazing. So to clarify, are you, you're looking at the genomic factors from the client or patient, as well as that, the phytogenomics and matching them? Yeah. So the way that it works is uh, we get DNA data two ways. Number one is our patented endoDNA test. So the patent is, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it, it's uh, Mm -hmm. the use of DNA to make recommendations associated with the endocannabinoid system presented through a graphical user interface. And the, the PTO approved our AI machine learning algorithm that we've been using since 2018 as well. So we extended that patent and the machine learning starts making predictive inferences based on buckets, et cetera. Okay. The more critical mass that we have, the better hone in on suggestions that we can we can make. So first is our endoDNA test. It is HIPAA and GDPR compliant. You can get it at your doctors, you can get it online. You would swab the inside of your cheek, you register that, and you would send that sample to our lab. It'll take two to four weeks to get your results. And then you would get your results in your personalized portal. And I'll explain sort of what we're looking at there. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is if somebody's already taken a DNA test like uh, 23ME, Ancestry.com or any other DNA test, you can take the raw data from that test, upload it to our portal. We'll translate that and provide you a report within an hour that shows you basically the same uh, kind of information. There will be some missing polymorphisms that they don't cover, but it'll give you at least 50% coverage. And the first thing we look at is every single symptomatic condition what people consume cannabis for and where your genetics play a role. So cognitive function, immunal health, pain and nausea, sleep, mood. And then we look at the specific genes, specific genetic biomarkers that are associated with their symptomatic conditions. We look at possible predispositions to adverse effects. So some people are predisposed to things like uh, psychomatic effects, psychosis-like effects. So we actually show everybody what their predisposition is and how to sort of navigate those sharp corners to make sure that you don't step in a pothole that's that's in the road. Right. And then, uh, and as I said, the next thing we look at is drug-to-drug interaction. So right now we look have over 200 different medications that we pull in and we see if any of those have a documented interaction. And every single report that we have must have a peer-reviewed reference from an essay that was done PubMed or equivalent to PubMed. Mm-hmm. And I talk about drug interaction, also the second part is metabolic function. So we look at three specific cytochrome uh, P450 pathways, where cannabinoids are, uh, where the enzymatic pathways are. So CYP2C9 for THC, CYP2C19 for CBD, and CYP3A4, which is CBD and THC together. That's why one of the reasons why people have different experiences when they use a whole plant versus the individual components uh, as well. Oh, interesting. I think it's it's also great that you make it usable for everyone. If they already have their DNA through another company, they can upload it, although they won't get all the polymorphisms to be run. So how do you approach a situation where you find that someone might be more prone to psychosis with the use of cannabis? Then what would you do? So this is for informational purposes only. Mm-hmm. The FDA does not approve anything that has to do with the endocannabinoid system until there's a rescheduling of cannabis. Okay. So we provide that information. 
if they would like to speak to a healthcare professional, we can actually facilitate that through telehealth. If they would like to have a conversation with their own healthcare professional, they can do so as well. They can mitigate or maybe uh, avoid uh, higher THC products that mm -hmm. can trigger uh, psychosis in those people. Higher uh, CBD, that's what the platform will probably suggest very low THC, higher CBD, different terpene profiles, but we empower you with information to make your own decisions. So we don't have a clinical infiltration of any sort of way. We, we don't prescribe. And uh, the only thing we do is provide you sort of your, your own personalized GPS so you can make more informed decisions with your phytocannabinoid use. And then you can take that information and take whatever action you think is uh, is relevant for you. But I would say that based on thousands and thousands of people that we looked at most people that thc really does have narrow therapeutic window when you take too little there's very little efficacy when you take too much it does trigger a lot of those adverse effects because mm -hmm. you have sort of free radical anandamide which is the endogenous version of what you know when we consume thc delta 9 it binds your cb1 receptors in our brains and our, in our central nervous system and releases anandamide so if you have too much anandamide you actually have an immune response to that which can cause trigger a lot of these uh, adverse effects so we want to make sure that people have really transparent information and by the way this is not just with phytocannabinoids we're actually moving right down to whole genome sequencing so we're moving to 64 million genetic biomarkers so looking at personalized precision wellness and mm -hmm. it's looking at your entire genome looking at you know with supplements interactions what are the supplements and drug interactions what are the things you know we have a, a supplement report we have a skin report we have a mental health report we have a report on um, women's health we're working with women's health specialists to, to look at predispositions to menopause perimenopause mm -hmm. postmenopause what are the symptoms associated with this person's individual menopause are they more prone to mood swings are they more prone to different things and we can actually have that communication because the idea is to have a collaborative experience with your healthcare professional both look at the same information and you can jointly make better informed healthcare decisions for the individuals. That, that's where our goal is. I love it. I love it, Mr. May. That is pretty awesome. When we talk about like precision, like why guess? Why guess when you have these tools that can definitely help streamline the care, healthcare uh, for, for patients and clients. I absolutely love it. So you, you've been stairheading the legislation like around or been part of legislation around cannabis. Can you share what your journey has been like with that? Was there a turning point along this process? Well, I brought up uh, that I used to be the president of the Cannabis Action Network, so yeah. a lobbyist in a way. And I had a rally in Independence Hall in Philadelphia. This is back in 1993. And um, Independence Hall is where the Liberty Bell is, the Constitution, mm -hmm. Declaration of Independence, by the way, written in hemp paper. But my keynote speaker was this lady named Elvie Masika. And LV was one of the at, at the at the height of the program, there were 16 people, but I think there was four left that were getting legal cannabis from the United States government under this program that was okay. cultivated in Mississippi with a USDA label on it. So think about it this way. It's a Schedule One narcotic, no medicinal purposes. The federal government did have a patent for it as a neuroprotectant, cultivates it 
in the University of Mississippi for research purposes and actually allowed 16 people to have this plant. Okay. There's some irony there. I don't know. It's not for me to decide why. I'm just sharing it with the audience and everybody can go on Google and research it. So LB was one of those people that would get uh, medically prescribed cannabis. So cannabis was cultivated in Mississippi, sent to a location, rolled into, they looked like cigarettes and metal jar with a USDA label on it. And she opened this jar and lit up her cigarette joint in front of federal rangers because Independence Hall is federal property. And uh, nobody did anything because she had federally uh, legal cannabis. Now, that was an exciting moment. This is 1993. Pennsylvania didn't legalize until 2020, I think. So it took a very, very, very long time. Mm -hmm. Now, when I moved to California, uh, there was this Prop 215 and SB 420, which allowed for the use of cannabis in this collective. And uh, when I say collective, basically it was a non-for-profit entity. So if you are the cultivator, you're cultivating for me, for my medical condition, and it costs you $30 to cultivate it. Now we have an exchange. You provide me a product. I give you $30. You didn't make any profit, but I got my medicine. And that was the model until, you know, went recreational few years back. So as we're talking policy, there's two different types of policies. There's the policy for the states themselves. Then there's a federal policy that's overarching, and there's a huge disconnect. Now, the hemp bill actually helped to alleviate some of this because 0.3% THC products under the hemp bill that are hemp derived can be extracted and can be shipped throughout the country. So Mm -hmm. people getting, you know, those kind of products. The challenge is that people who have conditions that require high amounts of THC can't. And there's still those, you know, refugees that are going from state to state. That's one thing. Number two, the federal government has been looking at legalizing cannabis for years. And lately, one of their conditions is they're looking at rescheduling cannabis. So when you reschedule cannabis to a schedule three or four, you will, it's still a controlled substance. You still need to be able to have some sort of prescription, or even if it's OTC, you have to go to a pharmacist, show your license that you're qualified. Right. I don't know if dispensaries are going to be the future of, you know, dispensing medicine with no offense to bud tenders, uh, you know, but people who are unqualified to give any medical suggestions, providing people with medicine that they really need. Now, Georgia is the first state that actually approved cannabis to be actually sold through a pharmacy, which uh, I believe is a crystal ball to look in the future, because that's something that I feel, you know, you have qualified pharmacists, you have people who understand how certain drugs interact and yes, cannabis is absolutely a drug, how it interacts with individual uh, individuals' bodies. So to me, I believe that there's going to be a shift at some point with federal policy. When I met with the FDA about a month ago in Chicago, we were at a conference called Benzinga Conference. I was speaking there and some of the members of the FDA. And they said one of the toughest things they have right now is to be able to look at safety of this product because there's so many derivatives that are coming out Delta 8, Delta 10, they're not sure these isomers they're creating from hemp, uh, which is, you know, these loopholes in the law, how safe they are, you know, and that this is the whole 
approach that I feel the federal government needs to take first is to create standards. Think about it this way. If I'm in California and I have a cannabis product, let's say it's a one-to-one with a certain terpene profile. Well, if I go to Pennsylvania, I can't get that same product. We have complete inconsistencies. I should be able to get my vitamin, my supplement, the same way at a vitamin store, no matter where I go. The labels should be identical. The testing guidelines should be identical. And that's where the federal government has to come in and create these uh, overarching uh, regulations to make sure that we have safe and efficacious products in every one of our states. Right. I agree. It definitely will have to be safe and efficacious. But then who? Who makes it? Is it going to be another type of pharma company that's involved in this so so that it is standardized across the nation? You mean who actually manufactures? Who manufactures, yes. We have CGMP guidelines, right? So if uh, a pharmacist doesn't have to manufacture supplements, but supplements actually have guidelines that they should be followed throughout. So there are medical food products. There is a category of you know, supplements that is approved by the FDA. There are supplements with specific labels that are approved by the FDA. So I'm saying that if they have licensed manufacturers that are making supplements, licensed manufacturers can also make phytocannabinoid products as long as they adhere to the standards, not only GMP, but there's also uh, standards on pharmaceutical drugs that uh, should be taking and who manufactures them should be the people that are approved to follow those specific guidelines that have an oversight by the FDA. That's my feeling. 100%. 100%. I love it. So from standing in Independence, <laughs> Independence Hall in 93, by the way, I went to college in Philadelphia. I grew up on the East Coast as yeah. well. So very familiar with the area. To to, temple. Yeah, Temple is around the corner. <laughs> to where you are um, now, are you able to shed some light on any emerging um, trends? in cannabis science, if any, at this time, and potential pivots that our audience uh, could take into that? Well, I think the trend that's happening now that I see is, uh, you know, there's this whole division of recreational versus medicinal. I'm not a believer in recreational. I believe that every single product you put in your body that has an altering effect is a therapeutic product in some way. Whether you, you know, smoke a joint or eat a gummy instead of drinking your whiskey late at night or whatever that is, you're still altering your mood and should be seen as that type of substance. What I've been seeing from a research standpoint is uh, the pharmaceutical industry is moving deeper into research on cannabinoids. And they're moving into research on cannabinoids for specific conditions and specific receptor binding responses. So what I mean by that is pharmaceuticals don't understand or are uncomfortable with whole plant because they can't really see which one of the molecules is actually creating uh, the benefits. So Jazz Pharmaceuticals actually has Epidiolex is the only product that's uh, that's actually approved by the FDA for a form of uh, childhood epilepsy. So the future of drug development is looking at receptor binding isolated molecules, whether it's one, two, or maybe you know up to four different molecules that bind to those receptors for specific conditions. So there are studies, we're involved in six clinical trials right now. One mm-hmm. of them is with Harvard Medical. We have three going on with CHUM in Montreal. And they're all for specific conditions with a specific molecule. So that's mm-hmm. the future of pharma where it's going. Now, Cannabis itself 
is still the smokable products are still the highest selling products, but now edibles and gummies are they're starting to catch up a little bit. So matter of convenience, people don't want to smoke in their in their lungs. Uh, they're out, they may want a gummy, but we're seeing a tremendous amount of increase of adverse effects because of this trend of edibles. And the reason why is I feel, first of all, since we still don't have guidelines on dosing, we're not sure how much is actually in this edible, how am I metabolizing that, and what is it triggering for me? So there's this uh, trend of people that have, some people have uh, cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. I was going to um, ask you about that. We, we actually completed a study on PubMed on cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, or us with uh, Dr. Ethan Russo and a couple other people. And uh, we found that there are about five different uh, genetic biomarkers that were associated with our cohort. There is something to be said by poor metabolizer, stress markers, and uh, uh, this connection through the vagus nerves, which triggers cyclic vomiting syndrome as well. Wow. So that's our study. It was a small study, which needs to be expanded uh, to a larger cohort, but that's what we found. So I'm uh, our goal was not to be able to diagnose anybody with uh, CHS. It was to find, is there a genetic pattern in our right. cohort? That's what we reported on. So because we don't know how to talk about an effect, like here's a product for a certain effect. So what people are uh, gravitating towards is these higher THC products. And that's why I think we actually fall into these traps of uh, adverse effects. So we're mm -hmm. on this hamster wheel of trying to address an adverse effect for somebody, somebody that's taking, you know, 100 milligrams of THC, having this effect, triggering the stress reactivity, triggering the PTSD, triggering maybe a psychotic episode, and then being reported as, oh, you know, this is the adverse effects of consuming cannabis. Well, you know, if I take a handful of uh, pills that are uh, they're prescribed to me that I, it, I should only be taking one, but I took a handful of it. It's the same thing. You have an adverse effect because you took too much. And forget even prescription medication. What if you went out at night and you had a bunch of tequila? Man, you're going to feel pretty crappy the next day. Mm -hmm. You're not going to say, man, that Jose Cuero, whatever that tequila company, they really try to do this uh, to me. They gave me way too much. No, you're going to blame yourself and saying, uh, next time I'll think better on how to limit the amount. And this right. is this dichotomy of makes no sense. You took too much and now you have an adverse effect. And yes, that's across the board. So we have to be really, really careful to understand dosing. And I think that is the biggest obstacle to overcome. One more thing I'm going to say in this in Canada, for instance. So Canada is a completely federally legal country. They have specific guidelines on marketing advertising. You can't market advertise a cannabis product. So people buy their products based on the percentage of THC. The more THC you have, the perception is the better the product is or the better bargain you're getting because, hey, I'm getting 100 milligrams of THC versus uh, 10 or something like that. And this is not the way to be able to communicate to people uh, what an efficacious product should be. It should be really, really specific. And the last uh, thing I'm going to say on this dosing thing, when uh, states went recreational, they started forgetting their medicinal patients. In California, you can come into a dispensary and you can find almost every kind of concentrate. 
So shatter, oil, crystals, you, you name it, high concentrated THC products. But for people that actually have a condition that where they need a therapeutic substance, where they need something that's balanced one-to-one, or even CBD four parts to one part THC, but they're, they're really, really difficult products to find. So we have to actually ask ourselves that all these programs that we're putting in place and these laws that we're putting in place, are we forgetting the reason why we actually did this in the first place to help people that have a condition or they want to have a therapeutic wellness substance and uh, those products are less than available for them now. Yeah, that is interesting. That is interesting that the people that it's intended for that these laws that were put in the place were intended for are the ones that are kind of been left left behind. That definitely needs to be addressed. And thank you for being on the forefront of getting that addressed <laughs> so that we can, um, they can address their health issues and seek some relief as well. Now with, you have your book, Making Cannabis Personal. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? Yeah, so my book is a little bit of my personal journey. It talks about, you know, some of those uh uh, rallies and then fighting in my, in my own personal story with uh, cannabis. And then it goes into uh, stories of different people. So people that have tried cannabis. Uh, I, I love using Grandma Mary. It's one of my favorite stories. And mm-hmm. if we have uh, a little bit of time, maybe a minute, I can kind of give you a, an overview. Definitely. Uh, Grandma Mary was sitting in an assisted living facility and uh, she was diagnosed with cancer and just started her first treatment of chemo. And she was watching TV and saw Dr. Sanjay Gupta talk about cannabis as uh, to help uh, alleviate the side effects of chemo. So she decided to go to a dispensary and, and try it. Now, 50, 60 years ago, I don't know, had a bad experience with a cannabis brownie, but it was 60 years ago. So she figured, hey, why not? So she went to a dispensary. She told the butt tender there about, you know, her previous experience. He gave her gummy and said, Grandma, take it easy. Don't do more than two. Try one, then, then take another. But don't, don't take any more than that. So Grandma listened, went back to the facility, uh, did one, waited about 20 minutes, and uh, nothing happened. So she took another one, uh, waited 20 more minutes, and then she began to feel very anxious. Her heart started beating, and uh, she start, it started getting progressively worse and worse. And she had a really, really intense experience. So the onset was much slower. It was much more intense and lasted, what she said, for like almost two days. She had a very, very long experience and very intense experience. Mm -hmm. So grandma began to say, I'm staying away from this and started telling people around her assisted living facility, stay away from the devil's lettuce. Now, when we did uh, grandma's DNA test, we saw that she had predispositions to a lot of these stress markers that we mentioned before on FA and CNR1, et cetera, and had this predisposition to psychosis as well. So the story is once she realized that she needs a more balanced formulation, something that's more one-to-one, different terpene profile, she would uh, not only did it help her tremendously, but she would actually give out our business card to people when she was getting chemo, other people could give them a call and see if we can help alleviate the symptoms of chemo. So that's one of the stories that's in the book of trying to find what's right for you. And if she didn't do that, it would have perpetuated this oh, devil's lettuce kind of thing, instead of finding what is the right therapeutic dose for that individual. 
Wow. Thank you for sharing that that story of grandma. <laughs> oh, even grandma needs uh, needs uh, to get some therapeutic relief, right, from our plants. So we, with EndoDNA, you've created, in summer, you created the, the test, the DNA test to help um, identify what product would be best or not necessarily best, but just to educate clients and patients on. Yes. The way that it actually works when you get the report, you log into your portal, which is called mm-hmm. MyDNA.Live, and you look at all the different symptomatic conditions and it's all color coded. So green means there's no variant detected. So there's a variant. And red means multiple variants, so exponentially higher chance of that symptomatic condition expressing itself. And what you would look at, it's all categorized. So you have anxiety markers, mood, you have uh, sleep, you have all these different markers. And you click on and see what the report is. The report may say you are much more prone to stress reactivity than the average person. Well, guess what? Uh, Here are studies showing how higher amounts of THC can actually trigger this epigenetic expression. So for you, what it may be suggested going for a ratio of maybe 10 to one CBD to THC and different terpene profiles instead of uh, limonene, which is uh, a dopamine boosting uh, terpene profile, maybe look at linalool, which has been shown in studies to help lessen anxiety that may be provoked by THC. So now that you have your secret sauce, the next thing is dosing, like I mentioned, then it's drug to drug interaction. And then what we do, once we have your secret sauce, that this you may want to consume products that are in this category, now we use a certificate of analysis of the test results of actual products that are geofenced and show you how closely these products match your suggested ratios. So when you actually buy a product, now we can come back and say, how efficacious is this product that the platform has suggested that these are, you know, a 90% match for you. And when it goes back to patient reported outcome and also integration with your wearable device, now AI starts saying, you know what, there's a thousand people that have a similar genetic profile than you that took this protocol and have reported efficacy. So this is probably the best protocol that's being suggested for you. So it sort of bookends the experience. Okay. Now, can you tell us more about that device? Oh, yeah. So any wearable, like uh, your Oura Ring or your Fitbit uh, or the one I'm wearing right now, these devices measure different things. So measure blood oxygen level, they measure heart rate variability, uh, measure the quality of my sleep. For me, I wear this because sleep uh, is really important for, for me. So I measure the quality of my sleep. So how much uh, deep sleep am I getting? How much delta? Uh, how much uh, theta sleep? So this data can go to the cloud to be able to support the protocol. So if I'm on a protocol to help me sleep, I'm coming back and saying, you know what? I slept for nine hours, slept, I feel like I slept really well, but the data, uh, the RPG data that's coming from your wearable device goes to the cloud, adds that to the anonymized data based on your patient reported outcome. And then the AI says, okay, well, this protocol also helped with heart rate variability. It helped with blood oxygen level. It helped to get two and a half hours of deep sleep versus one hour of deep sleep that this person was getting before. So for sleep, if that's the condition you want to alleviate, then this protocol is best. So it takes that data, combines it with a PRO, and that's how we get that data from wearable devices as well. Oh, that's good. So you're actually, you're tracking the the improvement and the outcomes. Exactly. Definitely. That's great. So with um, EndoDNA and the your book, what other big ideas and, and projects can you give us a sneak peek into? 
<laughs> Mr. May. Lots of big ideas. Uh, I also I also have a podcast called Everything is Personal uh, that I do, so you can find it wherever. Mm-hmm. But we're moving into whole genome sequencing right now. So this is the next 90 days on a roadmap is to move from right now we genotype right under 700,000 polymorphism SNPs. We're moving to 64 million. And the platform is going to be used as a software as a service model. So basically what our partners and our customers are asking for, and, and our customers are not just the end user customers. Our customers are healthcare professionals, our resellers, like other companies that want to use our test and our platform and the white label ad, and also a global marketplace. So we're in Brazil, we're in Costa Rica, and Brazil it's all translated to Portuguese. We're in Costa Rica, we're in Mexico, translating that into Spanish. We are in the UK, all of North America, Canada as well, Australia, and uh, we're just moving into Thailand. So the next iteration is whole genome. Uh, now you'll be able to go in, choose the reports that you want. So you want the endocannabinoid system report, click there and it's your, your platform. You want the women's health report, you want the men's health report, you want uh, you know the skin report, you want the full vitamin and nutrient, you want the PGX uh, reports, that's what you'd be uh, okay. choosing and then you'll pay accordingly based on the reports that you want and uh, then we'll continue. That is our software goals, that's our corporate goals and uh, then it's uh, clinical uh, trials. So we wanna get involved in as many clinical research uh, studies as we possibly can, because we feel that a lot of clinical research that's being done is now looking at your pharmacogenomics, it's now looking at your uh, metabolic function, it's now looking at your genetic predispositions. And the next phase of this is also looking at biological age. So. Think about being swabbed uh, twice or maybe even getting enough uh, from saliva mm-hmm. where you have your whole genome, we have your biological age, and from your biological age, you have a protocol that's been suggested to you or been recommended, and here's a protocol of maybe even your hormone optimization, your personalized supplementation, your phytonutrients, so your phytocannabinoids, maybe even have some prescription medication that we haven't uh, decided on that. But then in six months, we come back and swab you again, and we see if your biological age has decreased. So the mandate that I, I sort of gave the company is, our goal is to see if we can help people decrease their biological age by seven years. Yeah. And how we do that? First of all, we have to learn new genetic predispositions. And then over time, Hopefully, machine learning will start making those uh, predictions as well. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I'm looking forward to everything that you have coming out with uh, doing the whole genome sequencing now. So um, big things to come. Well, thank you for joining me on the podcast. It's been a pleasure, Mr. May. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, that's all I have for you today. If any part of this conversation interests you or resonated with you, we would love to hear your thoughts. Your five-star review and comments can guide others on similar journey and with similar interests. Subscribe, rate, and download this episode to ensure you're always in the loop and check out the show notes for Mr. May's information. Coming at next week on the show, I have a special guest who will give us some pointers on how to create a powerful thought leader brand so you can scale your business and attract your ideal client. So tune in next Friday. Until then, always remember, in your journey as a healthcare professional, always raise the script on health because together we can bring healthcare to higher levels.